Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You are now tuned in to the Roto Experts. Rise and shine, fantasy players. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Thursday, June 20. First, let's cock-a-doodle do it. This is Roto Experts in the Morning right here on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I am your host, Dane Martinez. They call me the spitting statistician. I am honored to every morning be joined by FSWA Hall of Famer, El Rey de Fantasia, the King, Scott Angle. Scotty, I'm having a good day. I made some good choices yesterday, the best of which was to not start Joey Lucchese and his start coming back from the DL. I did get a decent, you know, quality start out of Stripling yesterday, even though they lost. I also, you know... Scott, I got a stolen base out of Javier Baez, and we're talking about how Baez and the steals. You know, we were both talking about that. But I got a stolen base yesterday, Scott, out of Joey Gallo. Can you believe that? I'm feeling pretty good. How are you feeling? Uh, Standing-wise, not so good. I continue to drop. I actually moved into third place. Uh, But, you know, it's a long season. Hopefully guys will rebound uh, for me. I had Stripling going, too. It would have been nice to – would have been nice to get the win. You know, I have Robert Gazelman in my lineup because I thought he might get saves, and they use him in the, the fifth inning. He gets knocked around in, uh, mm. in an 18-run 18 uh, game between the Mets and the Rockies. Those teams score a lot of runs and a lot of, a lot of closer confusion you know, around the majors. You, you just yeah. don't know what's going on in San Francisco. You don't know what's going on in Philadelphia. It's getting crazy. Yeah, it absolutely is. Remember, guys, if you want to join the show today, there's plenty of ways you could do that, okay? You could always holler at us at 844-843-6879. You could follow along with us on Twitter, at Spittin' Speeds, at Scotty Roto X. Later on, we'll have Jake Seeley, at All In Kid. Also, listen, you could play Roto Clio with us as well. You could also vote in the poll questions we have. Scotty, I think we got a big one here as we wrap up the quarterfinals, okay? Today, we have the number... Number two seed, Aaron Judge, against the number seven seed, Chris Bryant, out of the Chicago Cubs. How do you think this one is going to shape out? You think this one is going to be close? I think Judge will get the win, but that it'll be one of the closer ones. I'm projecting it to be maybe around a 60-40 kind of split. What do you think, Scott? It's interesting if we take ourselves out of the New York bubble that we always right. tend to be in. And Chris Bryant might actually be a bigger face of baseball from a national perspective. Hmm. Now, locally, there's no contest. But Chris Bryant does a lot of promotions. He's very recognizable uh, across the country. And the guy's already won a World Series. 
not shocked me to see Brian win this thing. If we're talking a national vote here and not local, this thing's going to be a lot closer than 60-40. All right. Well, we will see. Get on over there and find our poll and vote on it. It is Judge versus Brian. Our guy, the manimal, Chris Bavona, down there in the fantasy pit of misery, will be putting that up momentarily. Hey, Scott. To, I'll tell you, though. Oh, I'll tell you, though. It's, it's – uh, both of these guys, though, kind of deserves it in, in, a, in a way because, you know, these are two of the, the really good guys in the game. Aaron Judge is one of the nicest guys in the game with the fans and the media. Uh, big superstar, gives everybody a piece of his time. Uh, and Chris Bryan is very much the same way. Yeah, so, you know, it should be an interesting matchup. Remember, Scott, we are in the second round, so these guys both have won first-round matchups already. That is a testament to both of their viability, kind of uh, in the public relations, being a good guy, that people, they do have that notoriety. Scott, yesterday, the matchup was Jose Altuve and Giancarlo Mike Stanton, right? And both of them had great games. Let's not, oh, as usual, start with the Yankees. Let's start with the Houston Astros, okay? They are starting a new winning streak. They get a W. Altuve responds. He has two home runs. Springer hit his 15th. Bregman hit his 11th. But I want to ask you, you know, you were talking about kind of the bullpens that are unsure of things. Listen, Charlie Morton goes six. Peacock goes one. Davinsky pitches the eighth. And it is Ken Giles that pitches the ninth. Now, I know this was like a non-save situation, but do you think this could be a formula that they want, or are they going to go right back to Rondon? I mean, if they got a lead, do they go seven, eight, nine? Peacock, Davinsky, and then Giles? I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to this right now. This is like this is like Philadelphia. This is San Francisco. I think I think right now that AJ Hinch is just playing the matchups and it. You know, I don't think he, he trusts Hector Rondon as his closer. I can't blame him, and uh, I, I, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> it is. It is befuddling, absolutely, but listen. It, it is. It's frustrating because as a fantasy owner, you know, you read the closer report from George Kurtz on Roto Experts, and you want to know. Mm-hmm. You want to know things like, you know, who's the first guy in line? Who's the second guy in line? Usually right. it's defined. But now we're seeing all of a sudden these bullpens like the Mets and the and the Giants and the Phillies and the Astros and yep. where we're seeing a trend now. When you're talking about four or five teams doing it, then it becomes a trend. Sometimes you ask, you say, hey, Scott, you know, can this come in a trend around the league? When one team's doing it, I don't think right. so. Like with Tampa Bay – you know that 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 really has that really hasn't caught on. All Seattle toyed with it, but you know when you're talking about four or five teams just playing the matchups, you know now we're now we're seeing sort of something of a trend around the majors where it's going to drive people crazy. And if this thing continues, the premium closers are going to go for even higher in auctions next year. Yeah, that's a great point, Scott. You know, you talk about how, like, the only analogy I'll make is right now when you look at running back in football, right, how there's only, like, those premium studs that are workhorses that get a huge share. And then when you look at, to me, I don't know, Scott, roughly, let's say, you know, nine teams, right, that have that kind of workhorse running back. The rest of them, they are all kind of committees on some level. We're not at that point just yet, Scott, but I think you make a good point if this – growing trend continues there may only be a few kind of like elite closers and then more and more teams maybe trying to piece it together based on matchups based on who's hot if this trend continues might there only be like 10 you know elite kind of closers that are worth it 
um, and everyone else trying to piece it together, especially if you're not a contending team, Scott. Maybe you don't want to spend the money on what a kind of big-time closer would command if uh, you're not contending anyway, right? I think saying only 10 – are you saying only 10 elite closers or 10 reliable closers? Well, I'm just saying if the trend continues, we could get to a place where there is only 10 closer situations that are very uh, yeah, easily I, defined. Yeah, I think that's overrating it. I think I think you're talking about five out of maybe, you know, the entire league right now. Yeah, but you're I'm saying if the about trend two, continues, two, Scott. No, but then you're talking about two-thirds of the league doing it then. I can't see it become that drastic. Okay. Well, you know, over, over a short period of time. And by the way, yeah. you just got into another pet peeve of mine. What's that? Uh, remember, we talked about fantasy rotations, and there's no such thing. Yeah. A lot of times, people will say running back by committee when there's two guys sharing it. No, that's the if time. You ever been on a, More than that is yeah, a committee. You ever gotcha. been on a two-person committee? Yeah. Exactly. No, I got you. Time what I tell my two. writers. Yeah. Timeshare is two. Three plus is committee. But listen, Scott, honestly, there are some of these closer situations that are a committee at this point in time. You know, I mean, honestly, Houston, Davinsky has some saves as well. You know, I mean, there are some that are more than two, but I absolutely they're def- understand. They're definitely a committee. Uh, you know, there definitely are a few committees. Uh, to, give it, to give it a quick rundown. To answer sure. your question, if you'll so indulge me, okay? Sure. All right. Here's here's the guys that are locked. Kimbrell, Jansen, Chapman, Diaz, Doolittle, Trinan, uh, Allen. Uh, let's see. Uh, Cody Allen, Wade Davis when he's healthy, Corey Knebel, mm-hmm. Felipe Vasquez. Uh, you know, maybe Arizona could go to – to a committee, Rossiel Iglesias is locked in. So already, I'm at 14 guys already. That sure, you know, pretty much. I realize Vince Caino. Uh, so you're talking about 15 teams already that pretty much have a defined role. Yeah, I mean, so we'll just see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about right now, Scott. I'm talking about maybe if this, because you talked about it as a potential trend, right? And so if it is a trend, then it's something to keep an minor eye on trend. to get growing and growing. Let's see if the trend it's a, it's, continues. It's a, it's a minor trend. I could see maybe one-third of the teams in the league doing okay. it. Two-third, right, so I think eye. that's too that, – that's, that, that's, uh, that's too much. All right, fair enough. We'll see what the impact is next year as you're drafting with this being the case. We do have to look, though, at the New York Yankees. They have a huge comeback victory yesterday, Scott. Uh, Gary Sanchez with his 14th home run. And Mike Stanton hits his 18th. You know, Scott, I never figured out why people don't use this catchphrase of mine. They always say walk-off home runs and stuff like that. You know, yesterday, actually, uh, Stanton hit what it was called for me a, quote-unquote, a go-homer. Why do people never use that terminology? It's a go-homer. He sent every all the Yankees home happy. It's an 18th home run of the year. You know what, Scott? People are saying that Stanton was, like, struggling early on. Do you know right now, though, he's on pace for 41 homers, 96 ribbies, and 100 runs scored, albeit he's also on pace for 220 strikeouts this season, which is ridiculous. This coming from Buster only. But I guess my question for you, if you're on pace for 41, 96 ribbies, and 100 runs, are you actually struggling? Do you think Stanton's underperforming? No, it's, it's, it, it's just he was underperforming early, and it became a narrative. You know, right. it, in April, he had 218 with three homers. Then 264 in May with six homers, 14 RBIs. That's not bad. Uh, 286 with seven homers, 13 RBIs. That's good. So he's, he went from, from bad to mediocre to good. 
And the last seven days, 346, three home runs, seven RBIs. The last 15 days, 286, five and 10. So overall, 255, 18 and 42. You know, you look at the overall numbers, you know, he's not really struggling. You know, you look at Stanton in his career and he's a 267 hitter. You know, he had 240 in 2016. So 2000. Uh, two two fifty five is not bad. I think at this point, John Carlos Stanton has surged enough recently to where he's where we expect him to be. Now, in fantasy, if the perception is still out there that he's not living up to expectations, uh, yeah, maybe you should go out and you know, get the sense of how people feel about John Carlos Stanton owners. Get the sense of the John Carlos Stanton owner in your league and see how he feels about him. I just think the expectations were so outrageous. Mm-hmm. And just to, just to be good is not good enough when you're talking about expectations in the Bronx. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, Stanton also coming off a year where he had 59 home runs, Scott, so everyone thought that he would automatically be able to kind of duplicate that, which I think is a little bit, like you said, the expectations get a little crazy, especially well, you know, bright lights, big city. Well, you know, I will say this, though. You know, he actually stayed healthy for the first time last year, and... 145 games in 2014, he had 37, but he's still on pace with 40. I'll take that kind of disappointment anytime. I remember the first year that Mike Piazza came to the Mets, and he got off to a terrible start, too, in his first month, and everybody's like, why did they make this trade? You know, it's all of a sudden, you know, they would turn. People are so reactionary in New York, not just the fans, but the media, too. It's like. You know, either one of the teams wins three straight up, turn it around, they're hot. Right. They lose three straight up, everything's falling apart. It's, it's, it's almost like a football-type reaction every night. And I think the, the media are guilty of it just as much. Yeah, absolutely. That is what creates the pressure. You mentioned Mike Piazza, another example from days gone by in the past. I remember the, be- the beginning of, of uh, when Tino Martinez came here for the Yankees to kind of replace Madden. He started off slow, and everyone was booing him, and then he wound up doing just fine constant. I've, I've heard them Martinez. boo Jeter. Yeah. I've heard Yankee fans boo, boo Jeter. You know, so it's, it is you know, it's, it's, there's, there's very high standards on either side of yeah. town. Uh, I think there's more frustration in Queens than anything, uh, you know, over the past 20-something years mm-hmm. or whatever. But what is the media? The media is the link between the fans and the team. And the media, you know, no matter what you want to say, you know, those guys are, you know, they're professional fan representatives. That's what they are. Absolutely. Let's keep it moving, though. Outside of New York, we are a national show, Scotty. The Cleveland Indians. Sorry, I had to get that rant off my chest. It's all good, brother, man. Just remember it next time you hear me talking about the Yankees. Next time, next up, the Cleveland Indians put up a 12 spot. Okay, they do big things. That offense is humming. I've been telling you guys for a while, I think the Indians are going to start to pull away, getting fat off the dregs of this division, beating the Chicago's and the Kansas City's of the like. Corey Kluber goes to 11-3 and on the season, season seven scoreless innings. He strikes out seven as well. I want to ask you, though, listen, you know, um, I want to ask you about Jason Kipnis, Scotty. I mean, he gets three RBIs yesterday. He goes yard, his sixth of the year. I know he's been one of these guys that have been scuffling as of late, um, you know, all season long, I guess. He's hitting 208. Are there any indicators, any reasons to start to believe that he may, you know, start to pull it up a la, say, Paul Goldschmidt, who, you know, all, in the last well, let's month. Not get cra- let's not up. get crazy now. 
Okay, well, that's what, crazy, that's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking. I'll, you I'll never mention those two guys in the same sentence ever. Fair enough, but I guess the question is, some of these guys who were scuffling for the first couple months of the season are starting to heat up. My question is, if you're a Kipnis owner, can you have some hope that this will happen for him? If you uh, think that Kipnis owner is a mark in your league, should you start to maybe try to buy low on a guy like Jason Kipnis? The Indians are starting to produce and run away with that lineup. What do you think about this, Scott? First off, about beating the White Sox. You know, they're 7-0 yeah. and all against them, I think, this year. But that's what good teams do. You beat exactly. the teams you're supposed to beat in any sport. It's like any people in the NFL say, they only beat such, such, and such, and such. Like, that's who they're supposed to beat. I don't want to hear it. Now, as far as Kipnis goes, you know, he had a great spring training. You know, I had spoken to somebody, a scout in the NL Central, AL Central, and said, this guy's primed to have a big year. He's pissed off that they tried to trade him during the offseason. And guess what? He was so pissed off that he had 160 in the first month and 221 in the second month. Now, he's only in the 241 this month, and I cut Jason Kipnis in my NFFC league. You know, maybe it's time to pick him back up because I think he's a free agent out, out there in a lot of leagues. That's about where I'll leave it. Last week, he's hitting 316 with two home runs and five RBIs, and he's starting to show signs, but it's got to be sustainable. You know, if all of a sudden the next week he goes back to hitting 220, you, you don't want him in your lineup. So, I, I look, it's good to see the signs, and I would pick him back up if he's a free agent and maybe even consider him putting him back in your lineup in a 15-team league, but I'm not quite sold yet. All right, so, uh, you know, Maybe trending in a good direction, but we're still going to wait and see when it comes to Kipnis. Hey, Scotty, an interesting game that I have a couple angles on. San Francisco Giants at home. They beat the Marlins 6-5. to five. Listen, Brandon Belt with a good game. He's up over 300, hitting 305. Yep. Remember, we talked about him as a quality kind of, uh, you know, corner infielder for some leagues. We talked about Jason Kipnis. Listen, Hunter Pence is on a similar potentially trajectory. He's still on the interstate, Scotty, hitting 195, but he had a good game yesterday he goes two for four you know bangs out a couple of ribbies but well here's what I want to ask you about listen the Giants have the lead in the ninth they bring in Sam Dyson remember who's supposed to be their new closer he gets lit up gives up two runs and then they bring in Maronta Scott what do we think is going on here in the back end in San Francisco oh we we don't know really (laughs) you know Dyson got the shot he had 14 saves last year and, you know, he was pitching, pitching well this year, and he blew it immediately. Yep. So, Yoronta Yaron, might be the guy. It could be Tony Watson. It could be Mark Lanson. It was just what I was talking about before here. It's, you know, we don't know who the closer is going to be. And, you know, do, the, uh, uh, does, do they really give a hoot in San Francisco? I mean, this team is not in the race, and they just lost their closer. I think sometimes, like we saw in, in Toronto, this thing has to play out right now in front of our eyes. And, you know, and until somebody walks away with the job and shows that they can do it on a, like for, for two, three nights in a row, I don't think we're going to know who it is. Yeah, that's unfortunate, especially for owners, say, let's say in a roto, roto league where you need saves and you got to try to get ahead of the curve. You know what I mean? You're really kind of speculating, and it's really like a shell game, a little three-card Monty. But keep your eyes locked to George Kurtz's articles on uh, rotoexperts.com. What's up? You like three-card Monty? 
You don't remember three, three card, card Monty three, back in the of back course in the, I do. Of course you do. Of course do. I do. The uh, the three card Monty is is a signal of the old Times Square, and you know the old the old New York. You don't see it anymore. You know the guy with the box. Yeah, the uh, cards card moving Monty. around. I never played three card Monty once in my entire it's life because I bet. knew it was a complete scam. Just it was fascinating to watch to see the tourists that would get ripped off though. Yeah, absolutely. It is a sucker bet. Hey, let me ask you about another game here, Scotty. Toronto Blue Jays, they get a W at home, 5-4 against the Atlanta Braves. J.A. Happ goes to 9-3 and three ah. on the season. He goes 8 and a third, okay? He was pitching well, and then when Tapera let kind of the inherited runner score, it ballooned to four earned runs for J.A. Happ. Listen, we kind of talk about people like DeGrom and Syndergaard and Madison Bumgarner and stuff like that, but uh, is J.A. Happ like – in all likelihood, going to be the actual best pitcher that kind of moves at the deadline, reports that maybe the Mariners are interested in J.A. Happ. Do you think he's kind of like the pitcher that may actually move and these Madison Bumgarners and Jacob DeGroms are really pipe dreams of contending teams? That's a good point. You know, right now, 9-3 and three with a 356 ERA and a 1-0-3 whip. Uh, mm-hmm. He has given up four, four runs in two of his four starts this month. And uh, in three starts in the past in the past uh, two months, so Hap is the kind of guy that you know once in a while he'll strike out a decent amount of guys. We saw him do eight twice this month, but then four or three. It's uh you know he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good starter. You know he's he he he's okay. He's gonna always gonna keep his team in the game. He's not gonna dominate opponents, but uh, he's be very very serviceable and can really help any contender. You know, I I could see him end up on the Yankees. I could I could see him, uh, you know, ending up on the Mariners. You know, yep. somewhere like that. A team that is looking for another solid starting pitcher. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a picture of of the trade market. You know, there's not any illustrious superstar starters out there that you know make it dealt. But you never know. You know, it's, all of a sudden, you know, we might see some move that we just don't see coming. And, right. Uh, a starter that we didn't expect to get move all of a sudden happens. Yeah, I was uh, I was hypothesizing with uh, Frank Stanfield the other day. Who are some of the off the radar arms that you never free? We didn't have any attractive options. You know, we we were coming up with pipe dreams guys like uh, John Gray and stuff like that. But who knows? But you know, there's always a surprise. John Gray maybe can benefit from a change of scenery. Yeah, you know, if no, the Rockies he's, fall out, he's, got, he's still a young he's got, power he's arm. Got good, he's got good stuff. Yeah, it's a young power arm if he ever got out of Colorado. Who knows? You know, we're, we're, Tyson we're Ross, maybe? Yep, we were definitely speculating, so I know we don't need to do that. But, you, you know, got, it's just did you guys, Did you guys mention Tyson Ross? We did mention Tyson Ross as another kind of I think he'd be a nice there. pickup. He's, you know, they're talking about on Daily Roto this morning. They like yep. him tonight. We'll talk to Mike Leone, but uh, – you know, right right now know. it's like he's averaging eight strikeouts a game against right-handed hitters. So, yep. you know, this this is somebody maybe that you know could be on the market maybe for a move. Maybe maybe somebody who uh, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. expect uh, who, who who might get moved. What if what if I, I I doubt I doubt the Rays would move Blake Snell. Well, but, Archer you know, they, has always been talked about. Not not contention. Archer's Archer been has talked about for a while. So, but, yeah, who knows? but we we've never mentioned Snell. This is true. This is true. We got to see these could, times. Could it, Dylan Bundy get moved? It's possible. Teams are going to have to start looking at themselves in the mirror and deciding what is best for their team long term. Hey, Scott, me, talking about Dylan Bundy, the one last game I want to get at before the break here, I need your help. 
You know, like Law and Order, we need the doom doom. Help me with this. The Baltimore Orioles. I've never watched the- Law and Order. Fair enough. The Baltimore yeah. Orioles beat the Nationals yesterday, three nothing. Okay. Finally and, beat the Nationals. And here's my thing, though, Scott. You know, on a team of mine, I am kind of waiting out this Baltimore closer situation. So I have Britton and Brock on my roster. They Brock. both come in. Why did Brock not get a save? Credit to him yesterday. They were winning 3 nothing. Okay, Britton comes in in, like, the eighth. He gets the first out in the ninth. Brad Brock then comes in to get the final two outs. Doesn't give up any runs. It's a 3 nothing win, so it's a save situation. But yet Brock is not credited with a save. I have no idea why that is the case. Scott, I know you may not know right off the bat. We got to investigate this. Maybe ask Mike Leone. I don't know Did if you, you don't. If it's three, it was 3 nothing. if there's no runners on base, then it's not a save. If, you know, in order for three it to runs, be a save... That three runs is you, not a save? No, you have to have the tying run on deck in order for it to be a save. Okay. I always thought it was a three-run gap, because I see 4 one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to check this. It's it's not about the amount of runs. It's it's also the situation. Fair enough. I'm going to um, check that, but that... Let's that, check that, that that's out. Always, that, that's, uh, that, that's always been my understanding. The tying run has to be on deck. Okay, we'll 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 uh, double check that because I was pissed off. Oh, okay, when I saw he, that. he enters a game with no lead, no more than three runs, and pitches for at least one innings. No he more than the game, three regardless runs. of the score, with the potential tying run either on base at bat or on deck. Right, but you said what was the first clause of that? With th- he uh, enters the game with runs. a lead of no no more than three runs. No more than three runs. He entered the game with a lead of three runs. That's not more. But he than also three had runs. he also has to have the. the he also has to have the tying run on deck. It's both, or, or, or is yeah, it an and situation or an it's or both. situation? All right, fair enough, fair enough. Hey, Scotty, we got to take a break coming up soon, but I got to tell you, Odubel Herrera continues to be hot. He hit a home run in his fourth straight game. When we come back, Scotty, we are going to have uh, Mike Leone with us. I'm going to ask him, among other things, how quickly do the pricing formulas react to something like this? Odubel Herrera, four games in a row, has hit home runs. Is he representing a value, or does the price catch up to him that quickly? We're off and running. It's Dane and Scott, Roto Experts in the Morning, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Are you new to Daily Fantasy? Are you a veteran? Either way, you can better your chances of winning money and lots of it by going to DailyRoto.com. Multiple people have become millionaires thanks to the guys at Daily Roto. Why not take advice from the experts? You can become a millionaire too. Just go to DailyRoto.com to rock Daily Fantasy Sports. Hey, that was your cue. Yeah. Yo, I want to rock right now. That's what we're doing here on Roto Experts in the Morning. It does take two to make a thing go right. And the two that you have are the spitting statistician and the king, Scott Angle. If you want to make it three, holler at us at 844-843-6879. We're investigating the uh, save potential situation out there in Baltimore yesterday. Maybe the official scorer was playing against uh, Brad Brock on his head-to-head fantasy league. Are we and talking he just didn't about last night's it. game? 
Let's yeah. talk about last night's game, right? Baltimore Orioles over the Nationals, 3 nothing. Um, yeah, Gonzalo, Gio got the loss last night. Absolutely. Okay. That's what we're talking about. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But in the meantime, Scott, there was also maybe some bumps and bruises. You want to give us a little bit of an injury brief here? What was going on last night? Uh, what your fantasy owners know in terms of the infirmary unit? Yeah, uh, Jose Martinez uh, was... As good as day to day for right now, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, some some other some other uh, injuries from around the majors. Here you go. Uh, just having a little little bit of technical difficulties right mm-hmm. now. Um, okay, here I got it. Uh, Brandon Morrow went on the DL with a back injury. Pedro Stroper probably be the first guy to close while he's out. Don't know if he's going to spend the entire days. 10 days or not. Michael Walker could be headed for the, uh, for the DL. He's got an oblique problem. Only three and two thirds uh, innings last night. Frenchie Cordero uh, is going to go under elbow surgery. That could mean the end of his season. Uh, Marcus Stroman is finally set to return from the DL on Sunday as he comes back from a shoulder injury. Chris Taylor may return this Friday. Uh, Brett Gardner has missed four straight games with a knee injury. Alan Hansen is day-to-day with a knee contusion. And Chris Davis is day-to-day with a a stomach bug. All right, the stomach bug getting everybody. Um, You know, we're holding now. We uh, hope to be joined a little bit later on by Mike Leone over there from Daily Roto. But in the meantime, let's start to look here, Scott. Tonight, as I look at the slate, it's a Max Scherzer day. You know, it's a Max Scherzer day. Outside of that, you got your guy Tyson Ross that we're talking about. Carlos Martinez is out there. Listen, Mad Bum also out there, but I don't think he's really performed up to warrant the price that he's probably going to have in his kind of two starts from the DL. As we look at these pitchers, you know, are you going to pay all the way up for Scherzer or are you going to try to cheat the price with a guy like Cool or Godly or Ross? I'm probably going to look to cheat with Ross. Uh, yeah, we were talking about. I Ross. really, I really like his matchup tonight at San Francisco, like they talk about on Daily Roto in in a pitcher's park. Uh, you know, like him a lot, and as they note on Daily Roto, you know he strikes out eight a game uh, against right-handed batters. So I, I definitely like that matchup for him. Yeah, that is a good matchup. Um, let me ask you this, Scott. I was going to ask Mike also. You know, I mentioned before we went to the break that Odubel Herrera now has homered in four straight games, right? Um, How quickly do these formulas adjust to hot streaks and cold streaks? You know, like when we talked about Goldschmidt, his price started skyrocketing up last month. You know, where is kind of the uh, opportunity there for someone that's riding kind of a hot streak? Remember, we also talk, Scott, about guys like Justin Upton, who when they start getting hot, we know that they can carry a team and really, you know, put up big numbers for big stretches a week or two at a time. How quickly, generally speaking, in your opinion, do these kind of algorithms and formulas catch up to the right pricing in these kind of situations with hot streaks? I don't know if you can quote me on that. Uh, I think I think it's within a few days, but I don't know the exact number. I, I don't want right. to misinform anybody, to be honest with you. All right, fair enough. Maybe that's something we talk. No, about. my general feeling is is that uh, you know the catches up within a few days. Mm-hmm. You know, from when I watch when I'm playing, but I you know I don't know what the exact rule is, and you know I I don't want to quote that when I may not be the uh, the most accurate on the source of that. 
I buy it. I buy it. Listen, the King Scott Angle wants to be very, very, uh, you know, specific. When we talk to the fans here, we can't let someone uh, be misinformed. I completely agree. I'm looking, I mean, I'm looking at this ninth inning from, uh, oh, okay. Go ahead. from the Nationals. Yes, we're investigating. So Britain comes out, right? Right. Michael, Michael Taylor uh, singles, and then, then Turner singles. And yeah. and then uh and then also uh, Goodwin walked, so he had the bases loaded. So what I think is is I think it might fall under the rule that, uh, and I'm not 100 percent accurate here. I am speculating. So that anybody That's knows eight four four eight four three six eight seven nine. Hit us up. What I'm saying is is that it kind of falls under that he kind of pitched himself into a save situation. And you a pitcher can't pitch himself into a safe situation. I guess, but the ninth inning started with that three-run lead, you know. And and to be quite honest, wasn't it Britain that started that inning? Yes. And didn't Britain kind of get into the trouble? Like there was already there was no, already issues. It was it was Brock. So Britain got Brock. the first. Brock out. came in, gave up two singles and a walk. So he kind of pitched himself into a jam and then got out of it. And so, yeah. uh, okay. I mean, I'm still pissed off. I think if, if when I look up and I see three nothing Orioles win, and I know that I have Britain and Brock, I'm accepting. I'm expecting a save out of that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So that is a very interesting kind of thing. Listen, another piece that I was going to ask you. You mentioned uh, Scott. You mentioned to me uh, when we talk about daily fantasy how they have some of these new games out there, right? The home run challenge. For example, let's talk about that a little bit. Do you have any kind of uh, tricks of the trade there? I mean, it's kind of like we play Roto Clio. You know, we play Roto Clio almost every day here and decide to pick, like, who's going to go yard today. What else are you thinking about? What are the factors that you're thinking about? Are you thinking about light, lefty versus righty? Are you thinking about the ballpark? Are you just looking at ISO and the fly ball rate of the pitcher to try to make that kind of call? I know, uh, you know, when you were making your Roto Clio picks, you like the stolen base sometimes. But if we were picking just exclusively home runs, what are the indicators that you would be looking for, Scott? And what sort of game? In this FanDuel, and this f- new FanDuel game, you know what I mean? Like just the home run challenge where you just yeah. like pick three players. That's what, in um, that game, that's yeah. what I'm asking about. Uh, yeah, I think you always got to look at platoon splits and, and ballparks, et cetera. Uh, you know, those, those are probably – and, you know, you want to look at a guy's isolated power. And also you want to, uh, you know, look at a pitcher's tendency to give up fly balls as well. You know, Matt Cook, who was sent to the minor leagues last night, you know, if, if I got, a, if I got a, a guy who's got a platoon split – in a good ballpark against Matt Cook, you know, I'm locked in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so those are some of the things you look for. Because here at Roto Experts, in the morning, we do not try to just give you a fish. We try to teach you how to fish. Right now, as I check in on the pole, Scotty, uh, uh, it is. I found kind of it. I found the loophole, oh, Brad Brock. You found the loophole. He's All right, got tell me that. At least, he's got to pitch at least one or more innings with a lead of three or more. He pitched two-thirds of an inning. But, but Scotty, I have definitely seen one-out saves before in the major leagues. That's definitely yeah, because because, it, because because the tying run is on deck because the guy will come in with the tying run on deck or on base and then hmm. get the out. He, loaded, he pitched two-thirds of an inning. Yeah. It's, it says he's got to pitch. He's in a specific circumstances. He's got to be the last pitcher in the game. Check, right? Yeah, yeah. His team wins the game. Check. 
Yeah. Uh, and one of the following. He pitches one or more innings with a lead of three or more. He didn't. He didn't. He pitches three innings. He didn't. He comes into the game with the tying run on deck. He didn't. So he doesn't qualify. All right. I don't know that I am convinced. I'm still just maybe I'm just how can I not convince you that that it's I just laid it out for you in black and white. All right. Fair enough. Let's get let's get Mike Leone here involved to see what he has to say about this and more things all involving daily fantasy. We welcome now in Mike Leone from DailyRoto.com here on the Roto Experts in the morning. Good morning, Mike. It's bright and early. Thanks for doing the 730 spot for us. Uh, Hit that snooze bar. Thanks for joining us for a couple of minutes, Mike. Yeah, of course, Dane. Thanks for having me on. Fair enough. Listen, I don't know. Can you help us out here? I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit pissed off, okay? Uh, I have been holding on to the entire Baltimore Orioles closer situation for a while. So right now I have Britton and Brock on my roster. And I look up to, you know, prep for this morning's show. I see the Orioles got a 3 nothing win, you know, and uh, neither one of them get a, got a save. Brock finished the game, pitched the last two outs of the ninth. It's a three-run or less lead. He had runners on base and all this stuff, yet no one from the Orioles was credited with a save. Scott is investigating why that is. I mean, I've seen one I out found saves a solution before. already. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Leona, you got anything to add on this? I mean, Scott thinks he's found the answer. I'm still – I'm a little bit skeptical. What did you – can you I, uh, give us any insight here? I think – isn't it something like you have to have faced at least the amount of batters that would have been needed to tie the game or something like that? Hmm. Actually, what it is is you've got to pitch at least one inning with three, with three or more – with a lead of three runs or less, which Brock did not do. And you at least have to have the tying run on deck when you come into the game, oh, the, and he didn't have that the either. The tying run on deck, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. But I, I, did, I did think it was like three or less, you were usually okay, but... Well, you have, I like, guess I've seen one out you have to pitch yeah, a full there, inning huh? in order for that to happen. He pitched two-thirds of an inning. Oh, man. That's a, that's a tough, one, tough one, Dane. It is. It is. Thank you for at least empathizing with me, Mike Leone. But that's all right. Let's spin it forward. Another thing I was asking. Another thing I was asking Scotty real quick here. And I hope then, you don't uh, lose your league by one save. Uh, I really I'm don't, because saves is the category. <laughs> Listen, Scotty, I'm telling you, saves is the category that I'm trying to do work in. I am tied for first place in Roto, and I only have four points in the save category, right? So that's where I'm going to make my hay and get my working margin. I told you already. I'm looking to try to trade Stripling for Bud Norris, for God's sake. Just because I'm killing it in quality starts, I'm killing it and I'm over my innings pitch kind of pace. I would do that. Yeah, but I'm over my innings pitch kind of pace, man. But I I would trade trade him for Norris. I I would trade him for Norris. Listen, listen, I hear you, but who else am I going to trade? I have DeGrom, Bauer, Clevenger, uh, Fultonevich. You know, I'm not trading any of these guys, but I digress. Trade him for a better closer than that, though. Norris is a little bit on shaky ground. I understand, but I have to Just target name this drop team. your whole rotation there. Listen, James. I got to target the yeah. whole team. I got to do a lot of work, but no one wants to hear about the Trevor ending story, my first place team. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> hey, Mike, let me ask you something here. I was asking Scott real quick about Odubel Herrera. The dude has hit a home run in four straight games, right? So the question for you, Mike, is how quickly do they adjust these prices? How quickly do these formulas and algorithms really respond to guys who get hot? Scott and I also talk about guys like Justin Upton, who when they get hot, they get really hot. Is there a, is there an opportunity yep. there when you sense a hot streak coming on? Yeah. So the one thing that's very difficult in DFS is discerning between hot streak and just like 
small sample noise and it's one of you know up there with bvp is one of like the kind of the controversial things to look at for me um i try not to look at just the surface statistics obviously four home runs is pretty impressive but i'm trying to look at you know is the plate discipline figures good are they you know is their walk to strikeout ratio strong which helps indicate if they're seeing the ball well is their hard hit rate recently good? And on Daily Roto, we've got a 15-day hard hit rate and a seasonal hard hit rate. So it's kind of cool to be able to compare those two together. So um, those are the types of things I'm looking at. As far as the pricing goes, I feel like on FanDuel, they adjust a bit faster on the hitter side to uh, the recent performance and the hot streaks, whereas on DraftKings, it's more of a set algorithm based on uh, the, the player's like longer-term skill. Um DraftKings will, and then when it's someone who first gets called up, it's kind of like the opposite, where I feel like it, it corrects a little bit quicker on DraftKings than it does on FanDuel. So sometimes between the two sites, you can buy low on FanDuel on a guy in a hot streak, but then on DK, sort of let the other people pay for the hot streak, whereas we're more grounded in the long-term skill level. Is That's basically the, the center of everything that we're trying to do. Do those... Do those... Salaries though, like how often did, did they did they adjust them? Though my feeling was every few days, and you, you went so much deeper on the home run thing. For me, it was like, you know, platoon splits, isolated power, and uh, you know, ballparks, and you know, guys who give up a lot of homers like Cooch or Hamels. But you, you dug even deeper than that, which I love. But they uh, did they adjust it every few days? Yeah, I mean, the the prices are always moving on, guys. They're constantly moving. There might be a little bit of a gap where they've done the pricing already for the next day, and, you know, the night before hasn't been completed yet. So you might get, like, a one- to two-day gap there. But, they're all, I mean, they're constantly updating the pricing algorithm on guys. And, like, DraftKings now takes into account the matchup uh, when they're doing the pricing. Even on FanDuel a little bit, you'll see the course field guys priced up somewhat. So uh, it's definitely harder now to find those obvious mispricings that you used to find in the past. Got a question, Scotty? You want me to go? Oh, I thought it was your turn. (laughs) No problem. Cause it's all good. It's all good. Here's what I want to ask you, you know, Mike with now, you know, the, uh, the, the repeal of the federal uh, ban on sports gambling, you know, states can kind of make their own decisions. You know, I think there's going to be – I saw things coming from Nando DeFino, who was at the FSTA conference, about all these kind of stats correlating fantasy players to kind of becoming likely sports betters, things like that. I look at FanDuel, and this year I've also seen, as Scott mentioned, the new kind of like home run contest where you have to pick three guys, and you talked about some of the things you look for there. There's also another game, Mike, that I wanted to ask you about where you pick only five players, but one of them is like a multiplier, right, of like 1.5x or 2x. Tell me a little bit about the strategy for that game. Is that, you know, should I be playing that game or is that a sucker bet? Like when I go to the casino and I sit down at the blackjack table and then there's also that thing where I could like match the dealer, you know, or something else, you know, one of those Mm -hmm. kind of other. I think those are sucker bets. What about this format where there's the multiplier? Is this something I can kind of get ahead of the field on? What's the strategy with that kind of format, Mike? Yeah, so admittedly, I don't play that format as much. But I don't think that it's a sucker bet for the reasoning because, you know, a lot of people like me who are more experienced DFS players, we're playing the standard games where the prize pools are a bit larger. So I think the competition that you're going up against isn't going to be as strong. And I really Mm -hmm. like that FanDuel is coming out with these types of games. Now, the the thing that worries me a little bit is I I don't like – 
the focus on the single game stuff quite as much where there's a little bit more randomness. Like I get it when we've got an isolated Sunday night baseball game. That makes sense to me, but I don't, you know, on a regular slate, I don't like the emphasis on that when we can, you know, it, it does diminish the skill a little bit just because you're going to get overlapping lineups and whatnot when it's just a single game. But in general, I like that they're trying these new game formats. I think for the future of the DFS industry, especially with sports wagering coming along and you want to hold everyone's attention, you want these games that are a little bit simpler to play, that are tailored to casual players, where they're not going up against sharks night in and night out. Uh, So I I do like these types of games. I know I've kind of not answered your question as far as the strategy to it, though. But I do think there's probably an edge. As I said, I haven't played these games too much personally myself. but as far as the one-and-a-half-back player, like we have projections on DailyRoto.com, and I think you can use those to, to your advantage. But the big thing we like to look at, even just for regular GFS, where you're not getting one-and-a-half-back, is these guys are going to get a lot of plate appearances because uh, opportunity, people don't look at GFS in terms of opportunity because they just think, oh, guy's in the lineup, he's only going to get three or four plate appearances. But we find if you look at the implied run total, if you look at, the home away, if you look at the batting order, you can start to discern the amount of opportunity a player is going to get. And um, the difference between like five plate appearances and four plate appearances is huge over time. It might not seem like it because one plate appearance, it's so easy for a guy to get out. But over time, you know, that's a 25% increase in the number of opportunities that you're going to get to put up points. So that's something to keep in mind. So if you go to dailyroto.com this morning, you have your rundown, which you guys put out very early in the a.m., uh, every morning, uh, you, you talk about pitching as always, and you talk about how Madison Bumgarner is priced less on DraftKings, making him more attractive. But do you feel like he's a hundred percent worth the price? Yeah, so it's actually I think it's FanDuel. He's a little bit less on relatively than to DraftKings, or at least that's what he meant to say. Uh, whether he's worth the price or not, I don't. I don't think he's 100% if you look at his underlying statistics. It's not there. But what's good to see is he um, is starting to face more batters. He's consistently pitching, pitching six innings. And the weird thing about tonight is whether or not you think he's 100%, he's facing the San Diego Padres, which is just an elite matchup uh, for all starting pitchers. He's home in his park, which is a great pitcher's park. Uh, it's one of the lowest implied run totals against at 3.4. And on FanDuel, when you're looking for – an alternative to Max Scherzer on a slate for tournaments. Like, you have to play Max Scherzer in your cash games as long as rain's not an issue. In tournaments, it's even hard to get off of him because he just projects so much better than everyone else. So I think if you're getting off of him, you need someone with some semblance of a ceiling that can at least come close to Max, and then you can beat the Max Scherzer teams with a better lineup. And the two guys that could do that are Bumgarner and Tyler Skaggs on this slate. So I think that's where he's most useful in a situation where you want a GPP pivot off of Scherzer on FanDuel specifically. Hey, fair enough. We're talking with Mike Leone here out of DailyRoto.com. They make millionaires, including last week at the U.S. Open for the PGA. It was, in fact, the Daily Roto guy that helped split the millionaire maker. So you definitely want to go on over to DailyRoto.com for all the insight. Speaking of multiple sports, Mike, you know, you're like a Brian Jordan, like a Deion Sanders, like a Bo Jackson. I hear that you have some content coming out in the uh, exclusive Edge Roto 
Experts Fantasy Football Package that is dropping over the course of the next couple of days. I've been talking with Jake Seeley in the next hour about zero RB theory, and I hear you have some thoughts on that in the package. Without kind of going too far behind the curtain, uh, tell me why or what needs to happen in the NFL in any given year for this to be a good strategy. Do you need all the first-round running backs to get hurt, in essence? Or uh, tell tell me a little bit about zero RB. Well, one, I was talking with Drew last night about Brian Jordan and Deion Sanders multi-sports. Yeah. So, like, the chances that that would come up in less than a 24-hour span is pretty <laughs> funny. But, two, going to the zero RB, I wrote an article for the draft package on both zero RB and zero wide receiver strategies. And what I found looking at the data is there's not a huge edge, in my opinion, in either one of these strategies um, in terms of, like, a market inefficiency where guys are being drafted. We did see this huge outlier year in 2015 that was great for zero RB for a combination of reasons. One, a lot of the top RBs got hurt. You had a lot of platoon situations. There was no huge RB, uh, RB1 yeah. that yeah, you just absolutely had to get. And then two, the wide receivers were, were garnering more and more targets. Now it's a little bit tougher because we've seen somewhat of a resurgence of the workhorse running back to a degree we've also seen teams are just spreading out their targets a bit more which makes it a bit tougher to get this elite upside in the wide receiver one and part of the goal of the zero rb strategy is you know win the flex spot win the flex spot in a ppr type format and it's tougher to win the flex spot like that when you're getting more spread out targets so all that said whether it's zero rb or zero wide receiver one of the main points of my article was that i think if you really look at your league settings and you understand who you're drafting with, you can gain an edge with a strategy that can be very holistic and very, uh, you know, somewhat extreme. And people are afraid to do things like that, but it can be a lot of fun. It can be very rewarding. So in zero RB, if you're doing a really, you know, and I like a hybrid zero RB because I'm never passing on David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, that elite running back in the top spot, but you're drafting, you know, even past your filled-in starters at wide receiver to start your draft. And that's something that's very difficult for people to grasp. But the idea is to optimize your roster long-term, not just for week one. Uh, and you can do that also by the types of running backs you're drafting later in rounds. There's more of a, a specific reason to draft them, where sometimes in a lot of drafts you're just doing the same thing as everyone else. You're drafting the running back that's highest on your list, whereas this is like, okay, I need to get my pass catching back to give me my floor. I need to give me my handcuff running back to give me my upside in case someone gets hurt. So I just really like both of these strategies, even though they're very different, um, just because the idea that you can take this approach where everything is working together to create the best roster long term. So I get a little romantic about it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and in this article, upcoming exclusive edge package, uh, rotoexperts.com, which is going to launch shortly, uh, you talk about, uh, you know, if you're going to wait, you do a zero wide receiver sort of strategy, you could wait on those pass-catching running backs, you know, like a Kamara broke out last year. Are there any under-the-radar under pass-catching running backs you're liking this year? So, uh, so far, um, I'm not – super prepped right now for as far as this specific strategy what i'm looking to do usually i try and jump in some best ball leagues middle of july so i've kind of plotted out back for what i want to do but i haven't pegged the specific guys yet for for each spot that i want to do but what's cool with these strategies is 
you have like archetypes of players that you want to draft. And I think you get away from just the simple, oh, this is where guys is ranked. And again, that's what everybody does, right? Mm. Um, and it's very hard. There's been some research over time that says value-based drafting is kind of flawed and not the best way to do things. Because you've got 12 guys in a league. Everyone's working off a set of rankings that are somewhat similar, and everyone's just trying to take the best player available. To beat those guys consistently, to quote-unquote beat the rake, you have to be a lot better than them at that. And it's just difficult to be a lot better than them at it. So the way you get around that is by having a better strategy than them. And that's where zero RB, zero wide receiver comes in, where things are working together. And I think there are players like a Duke Johnson uh, in a zero RB strategy that he's more valuable to a zero RB team than he is to another team. And you can find players like that that really fit in with your roster construction. Fair enough. We'll be keeping an eye out for all your work and the exclusive edge package coming out. Uh, Mike, we only got like 20 seconds real quick, though. Yesterday in Roto Cleo, I picked Jolie Gallo to hit a home run. He steals a base. Instead, I need a one-word answer, Mike. Who's going yard today? Help me out. Catch up to Jake. I, oh, God. I'll go Matt Olson. I'm worried the game, game's going to get rained out, though. Um, nice. That was going to be my pick. Second, <laughs> that was going to be my pick. You're validating it for me. Thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us. Have a great day, Scott. The All-In Kid Jake Seeley is back. When we come back, it's Roto Experts in the morning. Stay tuned to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network for more updates at the top of every hour. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Tuned in to the Roto Experts. Welcome back to Roto Experts in the morning. Dane Martinez gets the hot tag in to Jake Seely. The All In Kid joins us now. Hey, Jake, I gotta tell you something. We're gonna dive into football. We're gonna continue our AFC South previews. I think we're gonna talk about the Houston Texans. We're gonna break down our guy Nando DeFino's draft. But I gotta tell you something. This is now getting a little bit ridiculous for me and Roto Cleo. Two days ago, I picked DJ LeMayhew. He's the only Colorado Rocky to not get a hit. Yesterday, Jake, I picked Joey Gallo to go yard. Joey Gallo steals a base and doesn't go yard. I mean, what do I got to do to get something correct here? I pick a guy who would have earned me three points. Like, you think Gallo's ever going to get a steal? No, you pick him to go yard and he steals a base. I think he's just putting it in my face now. Uh, I think, I don't don't know. There's a handful. You could have gone back to Arenado like I did the day before. I, yeah, there's a lot of things I could have done, but unfortunately, I did not. I got to tell you, though, Jake, if you didn't listen to the first hour, Mike Leone made the same pick as I have ready to go for a home run today. So I think I'm going to no, be catching up. We'll see. I haven't seen that one. I, 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 hey, I got my home run in the last second. Yeah, I know you did. And it, but I also said to Scott in the first hour, listen, remember our poll question yesterday was Altuve or Stanton? It looks like they both were trying to maybe inspire the voters. Giancarlo with a quote-unquote go-homer for the New York Yankees. Altuve gets two yesterday. This matchup is also, I think, going to be pretty interesting. The two-seed Aaron Judge, the seven-seed Chris Bryant. I projected it with Scott to be about a 60-40 split for Aaron Judge. And right now, it is exactly that. Do you think Judge wins this one and do you think it's a runaway or a kind of one of the closer matchups we've seen in this round he shouldn't win this one this is this is 
Oh, the fact, look, Chris Bryant, a World Series winner. Chris Bryant is one of the best players in baseball all around. Judge has a ton of power. I love Judge. He's a great player, but it's, this is going to get skewed because of the Yankees. If you're talking about who should be the face of baseball, it should be Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant has already been the face of baseball recognizable because of his pretty blue eyes and all that stuff. Look at that. One blue-eyed bombshell to another, trying to hype up another blue-eyed cat, Chris Bryant. But if you want to get on it's just the be truth. part of this, hey, if you want to be part of this, if you're outside New York and you want to move the needle here, holler at us, follow us at Spittin' Speeds, at the All In Kid, at Scott. No, Miller, even if you're in New York and you don't want to be a homer. Heard. Sure, if you're a Mets fan, for example, and you want to, like, put the judge down, right? It won't be all rise, but we shall see as we move on to the semifinals, which will get started. And then we'll have our top four, and those matchups should be pretty good. Jake, you know, we are in that dead point of the uh, football season. But before we get into our Houston Texans preview, I do want to bounce a couple of things off of you. Jake, one of the things I heard, um, Alan Hearns in Dallas is running as kind of like the clear number one wide receiver for Dallas. But I know like we don't necessarily like this, uh, this, this uh, wide receiver room altogether. Here's my question for you, for the Cowboys. And I really, I should probably ask Corey Parson this. I'm going to see him a little bit later on today. Obviously, Zeke Elliott is a first round pick, right? We, we, we get that. After Zeke Elliott, when is the next Cowboy being drafted in fantasy leagues? Is it like all the way to down to like round, I don't know, is it Dak? All the way down to like round eight or nine or ten? Is it Alan Hearns? Is it somewhere else? Like that's a long time to not get another Cowboy. Who's, who's the second Cowboy drafted in leagues, Jake? Mm, it's usually Hearns and then sometimes Michael Gallup. Uh, honestly, Dak Prescott's not even being drafted. I just did an 18-team draft and Dak Prescott didn't get drafted. In an 18-team league, he didn't get drafted? Yep. Wow. That is crazy. Okay, so let's listen. And some no, people are high on that. Why? No, why? I, listen, why I that? am not high on Dak. I'm not high on Dak. I just think, um, gen- like, let's say Dak is maybe a poor example, but it seems to me that there, every time we talk about another quarterback, that's kind of surprising to me that they're in the kind of 12 to 15 range. And I'm like, wait, I could get this guy also if I wait all the time. I'm thinking about the Rivers and the Ryans and the Goffs and the Staffords and the Mahomes of the world. So when I hear just another name that at one point was kind of drafted inside the top 10 and last year people were also high on Dak, I was not one of them. But it just, I think, adds more fuel to the fire that, you know, you can, in fact, wait on quarterback. No. Well, yeah, that's the obvious part about it. Is yeah. This is why you wait on quarterback, and this is why you don't take one. I mean, unless the value is there. I said the same thing. If Carson Wentz is going to keep dropping to the ninth round, I'm going to keep taking yeah. Carson Wentz in the ninth round. I'm not going to wait to just for the fact to wait on quarterback. But the proof is there. You could always keep, like, until we have this whole situation with who knows if he's playing week one, I was taking Jameis Winston mm. in, like, the 13th round every single time. Interesting. And later on, when we break down our guy Nando Dofino's draft, he might have been taking a cue from you because I think he wound up with a very similar quarterback situation to what you just described. Um, oh, he only- did. And then he's in trouble. Hey, we already have a trouble. goal, by the way, in the World Cup again. Again? Let me see. Wait, wait, wait what do we got? Denmark's what do we Oh, Denmark. Already. Denmark in just like the sixth minute or whatever. Denmark over Australia right now, one nothing. I hit a parlay yesterday on the World Cup, uh, by the way. I'm continuing to make a little bit of cash over on mybookie.ag with the World Cup. Jake, by the way, have you seen the fantasy freestyle yet with the longest legs in the world? You got to go check it out, Jake. 
No, I told you. Oh. you. Talk to me next week when I don't have this right. draft kit that we're trying to get out. It's right, like right, nice. Right. Yeah, uh, it's worth it. Even Mike Cardano tweeted it out a little bit. It was definitely good times. Fantasy freestyle early in the week. I recommend you watch it. Don't listen to it. All right, Jake. Let's uh. Let's get into the Houston Texans. I mean, you know, we, I have some questions for you. My first question for you, I saw this, you know, kind of news and notes real quick before we really dive in. Um, Kiki Kute, am I pronouncing that even right? Their fourth-round pick, they see him as potentially a slot guy over the likes of, obviously, Braxton Miller and others over the likes of, say, Ellington as well. Tell me a little bit about this fourth-round draft pick, Kiki Kute, if I'm even pronouncing it right, and if there's any potential for him to be some kind of weapon out of the slot. The the, the um, Texans don't have, say, like a C.J. Fedorowicz anymore um, at tight end, so could a third wide receiver um, be supported here in fantasy for Houston? Yeah, so um, he, I think he was making a joke about that. Uh, Something has said his son pronounces his itchy cookie. And it's like because nobody <laughs> knows how to pronounce it. Uh, so no, it's pronounced like QT. It's, you're not QT. even close. He, 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 right, he, so. pro, he, he pronounced it himself. He even said so. He clarified it himself at the beginning of last season. So it's QT. Right, so we'll go with it. Okay, just, we'll go with just QT. Picture, just picture a Q and a T. That's it. So, yeah, I was thinking about a Q-tip my, my, technically myself. I was thinking about the Q-tips I needed in my ears after the segment. But, so, yes, it, go ahead. In any case, Kiki QT is actually <laughs> – that's, that's what that skill set is. He actually can be a very good slot receiver for this team, and it's not surprising to me because Braxton Miller, you know, we still talk about the fact he was a transitioning wide receiver. And, yeah. and there's been talent that's flashed, but similar to Terrell Pryor and other players before him, it's very hard for a quarterback to transition to wide receiver and match, you know, or not match, but just provide all the facets of being a wide receiver that's necessary. And let alone, you know, maybe if we talk five years from now, but the fact is, is you know, you got to find also, it's one thing to say, hey, you're a red zone threat, and that's kind of it. And it's like, all right, well, that's acceptable. Or like, you're just a slot guy. The biggest problem is a lot of times these guys move from quarterback to wide receiver, like Terrell Pryor, like Braxton Miller, and they're kind of, somewhat good at things, but they're not like there's not one skill set where they really outdo everybody else. And that's the problem. That's what that's why Braxton Miller has some talent and he can work out of the slot and he's shown some ability to work out of the slot. But Kuti is or you just made me say it wrong. QT QT is a come on Jake. He pronounced it himself. Is is a great slot receiver. So he's got that edge over him. So this doesn't surprise me, but the fact is I, I'm not really interested in a third wide receiver for this team anyway. Because it's Deshaun right, Watson. Deshaun Watson is a better passing quarterback. Well, more often passing quarterback than Cam Newton. Like he's, the fact is he's not going to throw for 4,500 yards. You're not going to find a consistent third option on this team. Right. And we talk about, you know, we talk about all the time, what is the size of the passing pie, right? And the Houston pie in terms of the passing attack is not as big. So we don't want to slice it up too many ways. I hear you. And when you talk about this transitional from quarterback to wide receiver, you know, Jake, it, it, I, have, I have certain feelings about it. I'm sure I could talk to Emery Hunt about this because he says the same kind of thing. But I think it's hysterical that you just assume that these kind of quote-unquote dynamic athletes can just pick up the wide receiver position like that. You know, we're talking about being at a world-class level where less than 1% of the athletes in the world can actually be an NFL-caliber wide receiver. And then when you take a guy like, whether it's Braxton Miller, whether it's Terrell Pryor, you know, they suggested it out of absolute 
absolutely nowhere with a guy like Lamar Jackson this, uh, you know, in the run-up to the draft this year. It really, I, it frustrates me from a societal, if you get what I'm saying, kind of perspective that they just automatically assume that these athletes can make this transition. It's, this is a world-class level athlete. It is hard. There are people that are superstars at college that don't get a sniff in the NFL at wide receiver, and yet they just think that these kind of quote-unquote dynamic athletes can just all of a sudden switch and learn the position. It is not easy, Jake. I don't know why they try to force-feed so many people into this, you know, even Lamar Jackson at the Combine and stuff. So it, it's a challenge for me to just kind of accept that they can do that. You feel me? You can make complete sense. The fact is you got to consider how many people fail to make it to the NFL and then just say, like, hey, you should be able to do this. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like but, the you same know. thing with baseball. The same thing with like, oh, well, just move to first base. Sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We're just talking about, hey, you know, we want to get Adrian Gonzalez out of the lineup. Wait, maybe we can move Todd Frazier to first. Maybe we can move Jay Bruce to first. Well, you know, Fra- whatever at, at, least, at least Frazier used to play first. Has some experience, right. But it's almost like, think about Kyle Schwarber even. Like, oh, yeah, just throw him in the outfield. It'll be fine. You know, I mean, this is – we're talking about a world-class level here, and there are – thousands of people toiling, you know, trying to get to that, to just think that someone can kind of flip the switch and pick up the skill set that is necessary. You know, I remember, listen, Jake, I moved from shortstop to the outfield just going into college when I played at Syracuse, and I played center field, and it was fine. Then I had to one year move to play left field, and, like, the tail on the ball curving towards the foul line was something that I had to learn. You know what I mean? It's just not something that you pick up right away. But I digress. Let's move on here, Jake. We're talking about the Houston Texans, and you talk about waiting on quarterback. I want to bring up the case of Deshaun Watson. Listen, I'm not going to have Deshaun Watson on many of my teams, Jake, because, listen, this supernova Haley Comet that happened for four games yesterday, uh, I mean, last year, don't get me wrong. I think Deshaun Watson is a supreme talent. I think he will be a, you know, good NFL quarterback this year and for the foreseeable future. I love the fact that he has the running ability as well. But as you know, Jake, I'm not going to go up and draft a quarterback. I think many people, someone in your league is going to go ahead and take the chance on Deshaun Watson early. And also, listen, it was only four games. You know, don't you think, Jake, that on some level, this guy, you know, the league is going to adjust? You know, he didn't have that kind of adjustment period where the league figured him out a little bit and he had to adjust back. So I'm a little bit skeptical, you know, that he's just going to be able to come out and do the same exact thing again. Tell me about your thoughts on Deshaun. Do you agree with me that like the sample size was very small and someone's going to reach for him in your draft? So I don't know. Are you going to have shares of Deshaun Watson this year? Yeah, we already talked. We talked about Deshaun Watson a few weeks. Ago, like I think it was it two weeks ago. I, I yeah. keep saying the same thing. Is the former players will tell Amory will tell you this. Players will tell you analysts everything. The second year for a quarterback is the toughest year for quarterbacks. It's just a fact because the NFL has some tape on you. And the NFL knows what they need to do to stop you, and everybody's out to try and stop you. As soon as somebody figures out how to at least contain. Deshaun Watson or limit him, it's, you know, copycat league and everybody else is going to have the book on how to do it too. And that's just the fact. So that's why. If you look at it, Deshaun Watson, yes, he could overcome. It's not a guarantee that every second-year quarterback is not going to succeed. There's plenty that have. Some will take a step forward. And what my point was the other day, he said Carson Wentz and Jared Goff took step forwards. But they weren't coming off of what Deshaun Watson just did. You know, There wasn't like a book out there and like, oh, look how great this guy is playing. Let's figure out how to stop it. No, they were taking enormous steps forward because they really didn't do much the year before. So it's, two, it's kind of two different things. But the fact 
fact is that you roll all that into, together, and when he's going as next to Aaron Rodgers off the draft board, it's just insane. He's not going to be on any of my teams. Yeah, I agree. I guess my last question on that point, you talk about the second-year quarterback, right, and how there's that adjustment. Does that even – is that even a bigger deal in the case of Deshaun Watson? Because he didn't play a full season, Jake. He played like four or five games. Does that even add to that kind of uh, case study for you? Which part? The fact that it wasn't like, say, Trubisky had pretty much a full year, right? So the league adjusts and stuff like that. I'm saying, is it even harder for a guy like Deshaun Watson because the sample size was so small in that first year? No, I don't, no, I don't think that really has no? anything to do with what, what – no. Okay. I don't think that has anything to do with what his second year should be. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Let's keep it moving here with the Houston Texans. Obviously, you know, someone's going to draft Deshaun Watson. Jake and I both think he's not going to be on too many of our teams. The rushing potential is definitely there, though. I see him being able to run for, I don't know, I would say maybe four, 450 kind of yards, another maybe three, four touchdowns on the ground as well. I don't need Jake to respond back because to get Jake's projections, you need to go to the exclusive edge, you know, fantasy football package, which will be dropping soon in the next couple of days. But Jake, I want to go to the running back room here for the Houston Texans. I think you've heard me say it a number of times. I don't know if you agree with me, but I think Lamar Miller is a complete fugazi, someone you need to forget about. He never lived up to the billing when they signed him. And I really believe that Dante Foreman provided the Achilles that he's come back, maybe not right away, but by the time the calendar hits, you know, Halloween, let's say, I truly believe there's a good chance that Foreman could be the lead back of this team. That is going to be my bold prediction. I actually would rather have Dante Foreman over Lamar Miller. I just think Lamar Miller is fugazi, Jake. Tell me I'm crazy. Um, you're not crazy, but, it, well, I mean, if you're going to call him Fugazi, that's crazy. I, I definitely <laughs> think he has value. I'll take him as my RB3. Heck, he might put up RB2 numbers again. This is the same thing. Like, I don't know how many times we have to say about Lamar Miller. And Lamar Miller, everybody's complaining to get him more touches when he was with the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. He gets more touches, and he fails. But at the same time, let's go back to the Dolphins' touches when it was in those mid-teen range every single game. He was an RB1 two of those years. And I'm not saying he's going to be an RB1, but – if he's still getting 14 to 18 touches every single week, while that might be fugazi for people that want him to be Lamar Miller, uh, he's still going to end up being an RB2 in PPR especially. So, I, again, I don't want him, and there is a big risk, but Foreman's not even guaranteed to be ready for week one. Like, I don't know why everybody's just – this is an Achilles injury. You tell your Achilles, there's players that don't ever come back from those and they look like 100%. And people – this team has already come out and said – they don't know if he's ready for week one. And people are drafting him like he is. People are drafting him like he is what I said last year. And the fact that Foreman last year, when drafted, I said could push Lamar Miller not into just the timeshare, but into the lower end of the timeshare with Foreman getting first and second down, short yards, goal line, all the major work. So he's more of the 60% guy and Lamar Miller is the 40% guy. That was my concern last year. It could still happen, but he has to be 100%. And so I think right now... I actually, I would actually say the the problem right now is Foreman's being drafted too high. Right. Okay. So many, too many people are getting ahead of this narrative, maybe a little bit too much, and forgetting just how serious of an injury the Achilles is, especially obviously for a running back. That being said, Jake, um, and I'm 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 speculating here, okay, and I acknowledge that. Could this be a potential landing spot for a guy like Demarco Murray? 
I mean, there's a lot of teams that could. I still think DeMarco Murray is waiting for a team that has an injury where he can be the lead option. He he went to the Saints and didn't sign. There's Obviously, he wants to right. go somewhere where he still is, at least if not the lead, but going to get a decent amount of work every single week. So, no, I don't, you don't, I don't think Houston I don't think is that it. place? No. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Let's look at the wide receivers here, Jake, real quick. I mean, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, for a long time, DeAndre Hopkins has been one of my favorite wide receivers in the NFL. Last year, I named my team after him. I called him Codes to the Nukes for Nuke Hopkins, right? Um, and he, here's my problem, though. He has this, I don't want to say breakout, but he has a very good year last year. I fear that I'm not calling him a Fugazi at all, but I feel, to borrow your term, if you draft him where he's probably going to go, you're buying all the risk with DeAndre Hopkins. He, in essence, has to perform the same way he did last year in order to, you know, return the value for where he's being drafted. I'm seeing him drafted as, in essence, wide receiver two, three, four at the same level as like an Odell Beckham right behind Antonio Brown. Jake, do you agree? Is there really any value to try to get DeAndre Hopkins? Because you're going to have to spend like your, oh, I don't know, your your fifth or sixth overall pick for him. If you want DeAndre Hopkins on your team, you're going to have to invest that first round pick for him. And is there really any kind of value there? Because he, in essence, has to repeat last year, right, Jake? Well, the thing, first rounders, it's hard where you, to get that much return value anyway. I mean, this is a first round pick. Yeah. I mean, was going to, you know, you draft him at six, he returned third pick value. Like, it's just, right. I don't really care that much about it. The, the, my bigger factor is, especially at wide receiver. If you want to make the number two wide receiver off the board, I don't care. You're buying all the risk, but you're also buying all the reward. I mean, there's, it's tough to get that upset about anybody at that level. The only difference I'll say for DeAndre Hopkins is I'm not drafting him in that range because I'm still taking a running back. The first seven picks for me are six running backs in Antonio Brown. Actually, the first seven picks, or eight picks, probably, I'd still only include Antonio Brown. It's just the fact that I'm taking a running back in the first round this year, even a PPR. I'm taking Bell, Gurley, Zeke. David Johnson, Barkley, Kamara, Hunt, and Gordon. Gordon. I, me personally, uh, if I you're staring at Dallas. Gordon and DeAndre Hopkins. Right. Let's say you're picking ninth in your I, league. Not, can I answer? I have the answer. I'll try to give Go you ahead. the answer. Go ahead. It's like I'm. I'm actually going Dalvin Cook. So ah. before we even get to that, but uh, see, that's I might diversify in Dalvin Cook just to say I'll take Dalvin Cook in some places and Melvin Gordon in others just to you know because there's a big injury risk with Dalvin Cook. But sad. Everything sounds great as of today, but we're a long ways out. But you know this. I told you. I gave you the sneak preview of the bull prediction for Devon Cook, top five potential. So so he's in there over DeAndre Hopkins as well. Listen, do you buy anything? Listen, here's the, the one thing I will say about D-Hop, where there could even be more room there in the ceiling. DeAndre Hopkins has made, you know, T.J. Yates. Brock Osweiler, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, and others look good. Now, if he has a, you know, wherever you put him, a good quarterback in Deshaun Watson, both Clemson Tiger products, you know, there are people that are, uh, you know, projecting DeAndre Hopkins could have, you know, could have like a 14 touchdown kind of year like Devontae Adams did. Where do you think he lands in terms of touchdowns? Is that, is it crazy to kind of assume just like because, you know, like Will Fuller had a crazy like touchdown output in those four games? Is it crazy to assume that with a full season of Deshaun Watson at quarterback that D-Hop can, you know, get like over 12 touchdowns this year? Uh, no, I'm never going to bank on a wide receiver getting over 12 touchdowns. That's rare for anybody any given year. And just the fact that he got 13 last year was rare. I mean, you can, he was the only person 
and go back to the year before. The only person to get over 12 was Jordy Nelson. Evans and Brown were there with 12, but mm-hmm. to get over 12 is re- I'm never I will never project anybody to get over 12. It just it doesn't happen that often. It's very rare. So you know, would it be a surprise? I wouldn't be like, oh my god, I can't believe he scored 13 touchdowns. If he got like 16, I'd probably be pretty daggone surprised. But <laughs> I think I think the expectation should be around 10, should be around double digit touchdowns. All right, fair enough. And listen, he is going to be a first round pick. So if you want him, you better go out and get the D hop, the D hop, the D hopopotamus, DeAndre Hopkins. Talk to me about Will Fuller real quick. Is this a best ball kind of guy, Jake? Um, is that the kind of profile he is? You know, the stretch the field kind of guy. We'll have lower number of receptions, but we'll have the touchdowns and the yards per catch will be pretty high on Fuller. Yeah, and Filler's also got consistency issues, but uh, no, he's better than best ball. I'm still not. Uh, see, he needs to be your wide receiver three, though. That's the biggest thing is he needs to be a three because there's week to week. It's Deshaun Jackson in his prime. It's Deshaun Jackson where, you know, you get six great games. Yes, I say it all the time. Six great games, six games that tick you off, and then another four where it's kind of like, oh, whatever, that's fine. Yeah, there will be those games, though, where he has the four catches for 147 yards and two touchdowns, and that will very much uh, help you on that week, even if it is a best ball format. Hey, Jake, I know we don't talk defense a lot, okay? And I don't want to go deep into defense, but, you know, when the Houston Texans drafted Jadavion Clowney at the top of the draft that year— their dream was to pair him up with J.J. Watt, and it never really happened. You know, either Clowney kind of was injured at the beginning of his career. J.J. Watt has been in and out recently. They have Whitney Merciless there as well. Listen, Jake, if Merciless, Watt, and Clowney are all healthy, are all motivated, you know, tell me what, what these guys can do to opposing quarterbacks in this division and in the AFC, do they set up to maybe be the best pass rush in the entire AFC? I would think about guys like Boza and Melvin Ingram as well. Maybe the crew in Denver where you have Von Miller and they just drafted Bradley Chubb as well. But when I look at these guys in Houston, Watt, Merciless and Clowney, could this be the best pass rush in the AFC? Uh, it might be, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know for sure because, like you said, I don't, I don't pay that much attention to the individual players because yeah. um, I don't do a ton of ADP. So, Fair enough, but in team defenses, go. we say the things that you can try to count on, right, are sacks. You know, you can't count on these touchdowns. Those are fl- flaky. But you look at a team that can get pressure on the passer, right? And so uh, even in team defenses, no, I'm not drafting well, I, said, I said they could be. 10, but okay. Fair enough. All right, Jake. I hear you. I hear you. They could I'm be, just, but he doesn't want to plant the flag on it just yet. No, I'm not going to plant the flag on something I don't know enough about. Ah, that's why you have the spitting statistician with you, because I have no problems doing that, Jake. The last thing I want to talk about here with the Houston Texans. Wait, so are I, you? Because you, you didn't answer your own question then. What's up? Uh, you know me. You know me, Jake. I am very, very high on that crew out there in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Give me Joey Bosa they were only, and Melvin they were 20 I'm looking right now. They were 23rd in sacks last year. They the only had 32. They also, didn't, they also didn't have J.J. Watt there. Okay, so you think he's going to make up 20? No, I don't. I think he could make up 13, though. I think that could be viable, you know what I mean? And maybe. So that um, gets him to 45, so that gets him to the top 10. Yeah. So that's why I'm. And out of those other 10, how many of them were in the NFC and don't qualify for the question that I asked you? And I think you're talking about, uh, you know, they're in the mix there. I think I, think I was going to say San Diego, okay. but. Well, that's uh, what I'm saying. Los you Angeles. need to. That's what I'm saying. 
That's what I'm saying. Right. I, I wanted you to answer your own question. Fair enough. I would say I would say Houston, Los Angeles, and Denver would be the uh, leading sack getters in the AFC. The last thing I really quickly want to bounce off you, Jake. I know you're not huge on schedule, but it sets up pretty good for the Texans, man. In November and December. They have four of their last six games at home, including home matchups with everybody else in the AFC South. And they're two road games. It's a back-to-back, but it's like that kind of sacrificial lamb. The second of the back-to-back is at Philadelphia. That's a game they may lose anyway. The first is at uh, MetLife to take on the Jets. I think they could go 5-1 and one in their last six games. And if you think they're a playoff kind of team, having four games at home and the road game being the Jets, I think that sets up pretty well for the schedule, no? It definitely does. I mean, when you see that on paper, but I'll I'll never get caught into the whole strength of schedule stuff. I, you know, I, if anybody doesn't I know, know by you. now, it's it's nonsense. I know you, but to me, Jake, it's not even necessarily the strength of schedule. I just like that it sets up that they get to stay at home. Okay, right. That's me, what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It looks great on paper. All right. Well, we shall see. If you like the Houston Texans, their over-under is eight and a half. If you think they got a shot of once again winning the AFC South, that could be your bet. Go on over to mybookie.ag, and you could uh, get that bet if you think they're going to win nine or more games. Enter the promo code FNTSY. You will get a 50% deposit bonus. Hey, Jake, when we come back, here's what I want to do, okay? Two things. One, we looked at your draft, you know, with the football diehards, and we saw some guy who actually stacked up Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller as his second wide receiver. I digress on that. Our guy, Nando DeFino, spent some time at the FSTA conference out there in Minnesota. He had a draft. Let's look. We're going to look at Nando DeFino's team, and we'll also look at the early odds for the NFL MVP when we come back. It's the all-in kid, Jake Seeley, and the spitting statistician who has no problem saying things that may or may not be true. I like to poke the bear every now and then in this situation. Jake Seeley is the bear. If you want to see that, come on right back. It's Roto Experts in the morning. We got a poll question up as well. Let's go. Join the family at Modell Sporting Goods. Visit your nearest Modells and sign up for our MVP rewards program to receive insider deals all year round. Earn points on every purchase when you use your MVP card to earn Modell's cash back. It's our way of thanking you for being a loyal customer. Upon signing up, receive 10% off your purchase and 15% off your next purchase. It's that simple. Plus, new MVPs this month are eligible to win a $500 Modell's gift card. When you got to play more and pay less, you got to go to chance to win two tickets the champ is here that's what we try to do here on roto experts in the morning we help you win your leads and win that cash it's the all-in kid jake seeley the spitting statistician speeds dane martinez hey jake i don't know if you saw right now aaron judge 57 percent of the vote Chris Bryant, 43% of the vote. This may be one of the tighter ones of the second round. You think uh, Chris Bryant still has a chance to overtake the judge? No, I think think I'll get it close. I think I'll skew it close because I've already moved it a little bit, but I don't think it's going to get there. Jake Seeley continues to move the needle. He's like WikiLeaks in October. It's amazing what Jake Seeley can do. All right, let's keep it moving here. One of the things we were going to do here, you know, Jake, first of all, you've been in this industry a lot longer than I. I can only aspire to be like you when I grow up. Going on in Minnesota this week was the FSTA conference, right? Have you ever been there, Jake? 
To Minnesota or to the FSTA? To the conference. To the conference. No. No. That kind of cash. You don't have that kind of uh, cash. All right, fair enough. Our guy Nando Defino, representing the Fantasy Sports Network, he was there. You know, I saw him on Twitter. You know, throwing out all sorts of interesting stats and percentages and research about mostly how now that um, you know the ban on sports betting has been lifted uh, federally and states have the choice to uh, try to maybe uh, get some cash and revenue for their state out of this. Um, there was a lot of information about how the fantasy players are so likely to also bet on sports, to also bet specifically on football. The correlation is almost a full one point there, Jake. And I thought that was interesting. But I digress. Uh, they also did a draft out there at the FSTA. And our guy, Nando Defino, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but was he using your kind of rankings as his uh, you know, parameters when he was drafting? It sounds like you know, Nando texted me. He was like, yeah, I'm using Jake's, I'm using Jake's uh, rankings. Maybe that's why he wounds up with Jameis Winston in the 10th round as his first quarterback, Jake. We talk about waiting on quarterback. Your boy Carson Wentz was drafted in round seven, uh, but in the same round. Listen, round seven in this draft, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Cam Newton, Drew Brees, and Kirk Cousins. Like, people could wait all the way to seven and get themselves a Tom Brady. Nando waited all the way to round 10, got himself Jameis Winston as his QB1. What do you think about that, Jake? I like it. Well, obviously, this changes after the news last night, but when he drafted, he didn't know about that. So that's, uh, you know, a situation you can't really handle is the fact that he might suspend it for week one. But uh, yep. until that point, whether it's Winston or somebody else, I, I don't mind it at all. I actually love that he did that. But he he wasn't entirely using my rankings. I actually, he was texting me, and I was actually texting him and saying, what the hell you were doing? Why would you ask for my, yank, my rankings if you're going to ignore them at points? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, just to catch people up, uh, Jameis Winston, they are now expecting the NFL to levy a suspension on him because remember that incident he had with the Uber driver a few uh, uh, what was that, 2016, I believe, was that incident. And, uh, you know, they're expecting a suspension maybe between one and three games. We'll keep our eye out on that. Listen, Jake, we talked about DeAndre Hopkins, right, in the, in the last segment. And Nando, when faced with this exact decision that we were talking about, six running backs were already off the board, Gurley, Zeke, DJ, Le'Veon, Alvin Kamara, and Saquon Barkley, and Antonio Brown, like you said. Nando was sitting in this exact position that we were just talking about he decided to opt for DeAndre Hopkins over you know Kareem Hunt Melvin Gordon um, Dalvin Cook who you mentioned a guy like Leonard Fournette and even other wide receivers like Odell Beckham or potentially Michael Thomas Julio Jones what do you think about you know he was faced with the exact scenario we were talking about uh, he went Hopkins you would have gone you know Cook or Gordon or Hunt in that situation Hunt uh, definitely would have went with Kareem Hunt. And the fact is, is especially because it was a 14-team league. Like, I understand mm. getting DeAndre Hopkins there, but this is 14 teams, and he come back around. And right. Christian McCaffrey is his number one, which isn't terrible in a PPR. Honestly, look at the draft, and, mm-hmm. you know, you can't – there's two things here. Is one is I wouldn't have taken McCaffrey over Freeman. and But two is right. if you look at it as well, you can't have – have Exactly. Well, or even Hunt and Thielen, even. And sure. the thing is, you, you, knowing that Freeman was there or going to be there, I, would, I have no problem taking Hopkins and Freeman. But I don't think you can bank on Freeman necessarily making it back because if one of those people doesn't take Evans, A.J. Green, Adams, or Keenan Allen and takes Freeman instead, then you go back to what you just said. Now you do end up with Kareem Hunt or Mike Evans or even A.J. Green because you bumped down one of the wide receivers for the Freeman pick. So... 
I think it just kind of it's one of those that could have skewed the draft either way. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say he's crazy to do it. I'm not going to say anybody's crazy to do what they did. For the person that went Beckham and Evans, I wouldn't have done it, especially if you – God, those court, those running backs are mm-hmm. terrible. But the fact is, is I understand why people do it. All right, and I mean, you know, to your point, let me ask you one thing, Jay, because you mentioned it's a 14-team league. Usually when we're talking about, in general, kind of the default is 12 teams when we're just kind of talking right. about rankings and stuff like that. Um, you make a good point, Jake. The fact that it is a 14-team league, does that, because to me, that would mean even more need in the first round to go and get that workhorse running back for you, right? Um, and World be Cup's like, tied oh, up, by the way. Oh, Really? Goodness, uh, Australia, back at it. You know, that's interesting because in mybookie.ag, I was looking at betting some draws today. You know, people forget about when betting soccer, you know, like the draw is a lot of times, you know, sitting there at plus 220 and a great option, but I digress. Jake, would you agree that even when it's a bigger league, 14, 16 teams, even more reason to prioritize that running back, that workhorse in round one? Yeah, but you can't go, well, it's round one and two. You can't go crazy because, you know, if you're in a 14-team league and, down where at the end of the first round by, you know, like Corey Benini and Mike Clay and stuff like that. Let's say that Nando went Kareem Hunt and let's say Melvin Gordon still goes in front of him and somebody takes Dalvin Cook. So now you're there and it's Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, London Fournette. Well, what if somebody takes London Fournette too? What if, what if you have eight running backs go off the board in the first round? You can't reach and make McCaffrey or McKinnon a first-round draft pick just because you want that running back. So at some point, there's, there's always a breaking point, and that's why I say the first two rounds to get your bell cow. Fair enough. It's all relative. Let's, uh, let's look at Nando's draft a little bit more. We talked about where he went up top. We talked about how he waited on quarterback. Here's what I want to ask you about, Jake. He goes Evan Ingram in round five, okay, as the one, two, three, four, as the fifth tight end off the and then texts me and says i think i went too early on ingram <laughs> oh is that right oh look at this we're getting behind the scenes uh, exclusive access to the thinking of this draft i was going to say the same thing jake you know i am personally down on evan ingram as a tight end i think part of the reason he popped off last year is because quite frankly he was just the last man standing for eli manning odell beckham gone brandon marshall gone although who knows how big of an issue that would have been sterling shepherd missed some time in the middle of that season as well i believe ingram numbers are kind of, uh, you know, uh, inflated because of that. And then we talk about the pie all the time. I don't know if you think the Giants pie is going to get slightly larger. Maybe it'll be one of those 16-inch pies instead of the extra large 18-inch pies, whatever the case may be. But still, Jake, when you have Odell Beckham coming back and you have Saquon Barkley now there as a rookie, even a guy like Sterling Shepard there for the whole season, I personally think that uh, his portion of the pie – is going to be less this year, so he wouldn't be a top-five tight end for me. What do you think about the Ingram pick that high up, Fadinando? No, I still think he could be a top-five. I, I wouldn't mm. lock it in. Like if it, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it a guarantee, but it certainly can because, again, this is the pie. He's going to get bigger. Eli Manning didn't do yeah. that much last year because Eli Manning was only throwing to Evan Ingram. Now, like his target percent and all that type of stuff will go down a little bit, obviously, because you just mentioned it, with Odo Beckham back on the field with Saquon Barkley. But when you go back to the fact that Eli only threw, you know, it didn't even near 4,000 yards, and if you go back to the back-to-back seasons of 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, he can be better. The team believes he can be better. So if he's going to get back to that Eli Manning, there's going to be more for Ingram, and especially at least, at least in the scoring aspect of it. So 
That all being said, I'm still not taking a tight end in the fifth round unless your name is Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey, but they're not making it that far anyway. Right. Uh, and then you, as he texted me, like you see what happens to the rest of the draft. It kind of skews right. the rest of your team. So it's, it's just you have to understand when you make that kind of investment, what's, what, it's, what are the ramifications to the rest of your roster? Absolutely. It's not only about that pick, right? But then it's about comparing where you could have gotten that position later on and what that would have meant for that pick and almost looking at it as a two for two kind of thing or a three for three right. kind and of you thing. Can look, the impact you it can has. look at it the fact that, is, all right, let's look at his third wide receiver is Robert Woods and his fourth is Lee and his third running back is Isaiah Crowell. Well, right. you could have Sony Michelle or Marshall. could have been, right. It could have somebody been someone. With, Somebody that's going to be potentially an RB two every single right. week. His like wide Duke receiver Johnson in RB three, in PPR, yeah. What, yeah. Wide receiver three could have been a wide receiver two, and then you have Robert Woods right. as your four, and then you still could have waited until round seven. Excuse right. me to get you what we keep get getting. Jack Doyle, Kyle Rudolph, Delaney Walker. I mean, you still there's plenty of options later in right. the draft. So what you have to do in this case study, Jake, is think about the difference of say Ingram to a guy like Delaney Walker or Jack Doyle versus. Like you're saying, um, you know, just to throw out some of these names I, again. I, as a sidebar, yeah, I do not understand the two teams that took two tight ends when they did. Because look at those two teams. So one was they took Kyle Rudolph in round seven, and then, and then Trey Burton. Burton in round nine. Even if here's the thing, even right. if Burton breaks out, mm-hmm. you can't start him. Is he you have be a flex Cooper for you? Could he be a flex you can, well, for you? No, no, because he has Cooper, Smith, Schuster, Lockett, and Matthews. So unless you're banking right. on one of those wide receivers busting out, right. he's not starting for you. It's impossible. And if you are banking on, well, now you just banked on a top eight round pick busting out as a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. That's insane to me. You look Chris at the other team. The same. Beckham, Evans, Hilton, Hogan. Now forget busting out. You're definitively not starting anybody in the flex because those guys are going to be there every single week. When are you starting George Kittle? And if you're starting uh, George Kittle and he breaks week, out, what are you the doing Titans with the Lady I guess that's about it. The yeah, week Tennessee is on by. <laughs> so I just don't I don't understand that thought process. Like I understand going in Joku and Eifert. That's different. And also because you know sure. you're taking an upside on one of those potentially busting. Jordan Reed is always getting hurt and Hayden Hurst waiting on Austin Hooper and Ben Watson. That makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me when you're drafting somebody that could potentially be a top ten tight end that you can't even start. Right. No, I hear you. The only thing I could think about is uh, he's obviously high on Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe he's looking for that San Francisco stack. But, Jake, we'll look further into this draft, some of what the other teams did. There's a couple. I know. We were teams- just talking about tight ends. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely true. There's a couple of teams who decided to wait on running back a little bit, like we were talking about yesterday. We'll dive into this a little bit more tomorrow. Tomorrow also, Jake, we'll have a little bit more time. Maybe we'll go into the the early MVP odds for the season as well. We got the NBA draft coming up tonight, so maybe we'll do a little bit of a recap. We'll see uh, if there was any trades that were made, like you know, Dwight Howard going to the Nets. We'll see if there were any surprise picks or if there's any headlines coming out of that. We'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow on Roto Experts in the Morning. But as we end every show, Jake, we got to go on over to Roto Clio. I got a win out of Morton yesterday. As I told you, Joey Gallo steals a base but does not go yard. You get the go homer out of Giancarlo who dropped the mic both literally and figuratively uh, for you. Where are you going today? Um, you know, you can give me them both, uh, on the hill or at the dish. Well, I'll, uh, I'll attack one person at the same time. How about that? Does that sound okay, good? fair enough. Where are we going? I'm going to uh, Cincinnati and attacking mm-hmm. Matt Harvey. 
twice. <laughs> <laughs> so the Cubs will put up enough runs that Kyle Hendricks gets the win because it's Matt Harvey. And then on the other side of it, I almost said Schwarber, but he's been kind of he's been very hit or miss lately. And similar to Stanton. I am taking a bigger name, but I'm taking a bigger name to get off the Schneid and hit a home run. It's been a little bit quiet lately, so I'm taking Anthony Rizzo to wake up. I'm going to start waking people up. I'm going to wake them up. I'm going get, to get, get them rolling again. I like that, Jake. I think we have the ability here on Roto Experts to inspire people. You clearly did that with Giancarlo Stanton yesterday. We clearly did that with both Jose I, I, I told you. I was going to get him off the Schneid. Yeah, we did that with both Altuve and uh, Stanton yesterday, putting them up in our poll. They wanted to kind of help you lobby. Jake, you are moving the needle. I'm telling you, it's now 54-46 in favor of the judge. This is going to be a close one. I'll be interested to see how this one shakes out. All right, Jake, we have your picks entered. I you know, Listen, Max Scherzer's on the hill today, <laughs> you know, so that could be easy. But I want to avoid, you know, I want to avoid all the hate coming out of the All-In Kid when I just go chalky because I got the... W out of Morton yesterday. I'm going to go Tyler Skaggs. I'm going to go Tyler Skaggs today, Jake. I like him. He's at home against the Blue Jays. The Angels are minus 150 favorites. Skaggs pitching to a below three ERA. I think he can get it done. And uh, you talk about attacking pitchers. You're attacking Matt Harvey. I'm going to go ahead and attack Lucas Giolito. All right, there with the Chicago White Sox. I like that the Oakland A's are in town. Remember, Oakland put up 12 runs, I believe, yesterday, and they're getting a good ballpark shift going away from Oakland. They're on the road. I'm going to go with a guy who has been hot. Give me Matt Olson to go yard today off of Lucas Giolito. So I've got Skaggs and Olson today. How's that sound for you, Jake? You think I can maybe? Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to close the gap, Jake. No, that works. It's going to be tough, though. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, I know. I'm trying to listen, though. Today, Mike Leone also said that uh, Matt Olson could be uh, could be going yard. Big shout out to our guy J Rod, who plays with us every day as well. He had J A Hap for the win, so he gets a little bit of points there. Unfortunately, though, Jake, he is not catching up to you. Has not earned himself a free exclusive edge package. Jake, we only got about a minute left. I know you are like hardcore along with the King Scott Angle talking about some of these articles that are out there. They're going to be dropping over the next couple of days. What are some of the things you're seeing? You talked to me about the Mike Leone zero RB zero wideout theory. We know that I'm doing some things on defenses to look at because uh, they made some changes in the offseason. What are some of the other things people can expect in the coming days when the exclusive edge package drops, Jake? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, they could go back and listen to yesterday's episode. <laughs> wow. Wow. Jake is not playing around. Fair enough. Jake, Um, last thing. I, I don't. Uh, you know, listen, you ahead, keep asking me. I don't know which ones are with the, the launch or which ones are coming after that. So I'm not going to like just go get right. the exclusive edge package. You'll be able to see it as soon good. as you sign up. It's all good. We got a little outing tonight, Jay. Carton and Friends is up next here on the Fantasy Sports Network. We're going out a little bit tonight. We're going bowling, okay? We made some teams here, and uh, one team has, like, me, Craig, and Bavona. Another team has Corey, Frank, and Lou on it. One team has Ventra, Sussman, and Matt Modica. Another team has Florio. You know, like, where, where, who do you think is going to be the best team tonight? Who do you think is the best bowler out of the Fantasy Sports Network, Jake? Mm, I don't know. Honestly, no clue. All right. I Cardano. think apparently 
Ooh, that's interesting. I hear Chris Pavona was the number one overall pick. I'll let All you right, know how it wound I, up. I, I couldn't care. <laughs> All right, I'll let you know how that wind up. We'll see how the NFL draft winds up. We'll preview the Jacksonville Jaguars and more. Have a great day, Jake. I'll talk to you tomorrow, okay? Roto Experts in the morning, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Sale. That